This episode is brought to you by The Hartford, a leading provider of employee benefits and income protection products that is dedicated to standing behind U.S. workers to help them pursue their goals and get through tough times. For more information about The Hartford, visit thehartford.com slash employee benefits. We've also got a link in our show notes. Hey, Nora. My name's Rachel. I... um struggle with OCD every day, every hour, every minute. Um, My big fear is that my three kids are going to die all at the same time, and I imagine it in my head, graphically um, happening. (sighs) Just thinking about it, just just thinking about it puts me into a panic. Um, I... uh, I want to start over with this because I don't I don't know how to articulate to someone without OCD what OCD is like. I'm Nora McNerney and this is terrible. Thanks for asking. We got this message from Rachel, the one that you just heard, and we were like, "Yes." Good point. How do you communicate the OCD brain to someone who doesn't have OCD? How do you get people, people, honestly, like all of us who like to say, I'm so OCD, after we like organize our spice drawer, to try to understand what those three words feel like to actually live? Because it is a hard thing to understand, and not just for you. It's a hard thing to understand for us. It's a hard thing to understand for Rachel, even. And she's the one living it. Um, The minute I wake up, my brain says to me, what if it's today? What if they die today? What if they die today? And so uh, I don't like to take them places all in one vehicle. Um, I'm freaked out for my daughter to join my older two kids at school. Oh gosh, this sounds so dumb. It sounds so dumb. I know it's dumb. I know how dumb it is. I know this fear isn't logical, but you can't use logic with an OCD brain. I think a lot about hidden illnesses, the ones um, that you can't see if it's not obvious for me calling it a hidden illness. You know, you can't see them. Mental health often falls into that category. And OCD also within mental health falls into that category. And those of us who don't have OCD, we do talk about it casually. And we kind of assume that OCD is just people who love cleaning or who close the door too often or who just worry too much. I would love to come talk to you and be honest about what it's like living with OCD. Humility time, a lot of our best ideas here at TTFA come from you, specifically you. I don't know if you read the terms and conditions of downloading this podcast, but you granted me access to your thoughts, feelings, and emails. You're all fascinating. But this is an idea that came from you or one of you. Rachel did not come into the studio for this episode. Instead, after we got her message, we reached out and we had her and a few other volunteers, people who have OCD, share what one day in the life of their OCD is like. 
We all agreed on a day, and these three people each turned on their phones and shared what was happening with their OCD throughout the day. So this episode is Rachel's experience. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud because I I worry about people not understanding what this is. And this episode is Alex's experience. My name is Alex. I am 27 years old, and I'm currently a short story format editor for a literary journal. And this episode is Teresa's experience. Or a day of their experience. One day in August of 2018. Hi, my name is Teresa Bernstein, and uh, I'm 59 years old. And I have OCD. Teresa lives in Oklahoma City. And today, she's up a little early. Good morning. This is Teresa Bernstein. And it is 5.55 in the morning. Um, I got up early this morning and took my daughter to the airport, which went okay. My goal was to get back home before my normal wake-up time of 5.45 so I could, you know, be like like my normal routine, not be touched at all. I didn't quite make that, Um, so I'm a little agitated, but but, uh, I'm okay. So I'm fixing my coffee and about to sit down with my dogs. So here I go, trying to get my little routine in order this morning. Teresa's son lives in Portland, Oregon, but he's about to move back to Oklahoma City. And this morning, Teresa dropped her daughter off at the airport so that her daughter could fly to Portland and then drive her brother back home. And that means that Teresa's two kids are about to be on a cross-country road trip together. It's uh, 6.45. I'm... I'm a little panicky. I intentionally didn't tell my daughter to text me when she was getting on the plane. Um, And I held out as long as I could, but I texted her and I haven't heard back. So now my brain is just going a thousand miles an hour. What if she went in the bathroom and somebody hit her over the head? What if she fell asleep and misses her flight? So... What is OCD? Not to be an annoying dictionary reader, but it's kind of exactly what it says it is. Just look at the words. Obsessive. You have unwanted thoughts, fears, worries, impulses, mental images. They're always disturbing. They're often graphic. They're impossible to ignore. And they just keep coming back like, okay, remember using the internet in like 1999? And if you clicked a window, just one ad pop up, a billion would open like that. Only instead of being like, you just won a cruise. It's just terrible thoughts, terrible mental images. Compulsive. You have physical behaviors, compulsions that you go through to try to control the obsessions. Disorder. When the compulsions significantly impact your ability to function in your daily life. That's OCD. It's like a mix and match of different obsessions. Your children dying, a plane falling from the sky. 
And compulsions, tapping something to make sure that obsessive thought doesn't come true, chewing your food a thousand times before you swallow. There are a lot of ways for these things to combine and create OCD. But the obsession is what kicks it off. Persistent, horrible, and relentless. So what if she fell asleep and misses her flight? What if she went in the bathroom and somebody hit her over the head? Somebody, somebody hit her over the head. Then, on top of that, last night we had a really bad storm in Oklahoma and uh, lots of water rescues and that kind of thing. And um, now I'm starting to panic. I, I live 10 minutes from my work and I leave 45 minutes before it opens. We open at 8. And I make sure I'm there by 7.30 every day. And now I'm starting to feel like, oh my God, what if there's trees down between here and there? Um, what if a road is closed for some reason? I don't know. Um, and, and I don't get there on time. Oh, okay. God. Oh, 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 she, she texted back. Hold on, hold on. Yep, just waiting to board. Okay, okay. Whew, well, okay. So that's okay. So now I can just panic about getting to work. <clears throat> God. OCD is not consistent, and Teresa's has changed over time. She wasn't always the kind of person who imagines that her daughter has been struck over the head in the airport bathroom. In my uh, younger days, when I was uh, had young children and <clears throat> was a stay-at-home mom, it sort of presented itself in almost like a cute way. My house was immaculate, always, and I had a label maker and, you know, labeled drawers and just <laughs> everything. But everybody thought it was adorable, and it didn't really hurt anything to be that way. In, in fact, it was productive. But then I had some tragic life events. I lost both my parents. I lost my husband to suicide. And then my daughter, at 26, was diagnosed with cancer. And after that it sort of took a turn towards the not healthy. In more recent, the last about year to two years, it changed to what the doctor calls catastrophizing, where I am constantly, and, and I don't, I can't say that word strongly enough, I mean constantly thinking about horrible things that could happen. And it can be something like, I could get in a car accident. And it's not that I'm afraid of dying. It seldom has to do with me being injured. It has to do with me having to cope with the crisis. It's always a plane could crash in my... And I feel like I want to cry just talking about it. A plane could crash in my neighborhood, and what if I see someone die? Or what if an animal runs out in front of my car and I hit it? Or what if I get a call? And someone I love is dead again. And it just never stops. It never stops. And it's exhausting. 
It's exhausting even though Teresa has a good doctor and she takes medication. This is still what her days are like. When I go to work, I just get in my car and I drive to work truly most of the time. I don't even notice that I drove there. My body just takes over. Teresa's commute is like her brain driving or her brain trying to drive. (sighs) Teresa Bernstein again. I don't know if I'm supposed to say my name every single time, but whatever. 7.15, I got out. Everything going good so far. Um, On my way to work, everything looks pretty good. There are definitely some trees down, but nothing I need to really super panic about. So everything seems to be going along. Fingers crossed. Now I'm worrying about... It's like if one issue gets solved or like one thing that I'm worrying about is proved to be okay. My brain just instantly goes, okay, yeah, well, what about? Well, what about your son? He said he was going to a going away party last night. And he even told me when he told me that, do not check on me in the morning. I'm going to be hungover and I'm going to sleep in. I'm fine. I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. And I just keep telling myself that, you know, but those scenarios just keep entering my head. (sighs) While Teresa's driving to work, at the same time, about 350 miles away in Kansas City, Rachel is up and starting her day. Rachel was diagnosed with OCD at age 16, but she had started to experience it much younger. Now she's a mom to three kids, and mornings mean school drop-off. I am going to take my daughter to school. (laughs) Say hi. Hi. (laughs) You always use that funny voice. She is 13, and she's awesome. Hey, Lou, how would you say OCD affects you? I don't know. She worries about me a lot. A lot. So I have to tell her that I'm the adult and she's the child. How does it affect you the most, Lucy? I don't know, probably that. Probably worrying about me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, shut your door. Thank you. Lou is my partner in crime. Aren't you? Sure. What OCD things do I do that you notice? Like, uh, you're always... uh, Oh! Oh, taking out the recycling. (laughs) Taking out the recycling. So if we have any recycling, I can't wait. Even if we go... Let's go out. Even if we... Stop it! (laughs) So, if... Ah... We got a new car and I don't know how to work anything. Okay, so if I'm going out anywhere, I take the recycling. Sometimes she goes out just to take. <sighs> Sometimes I go out just to take the recycling. There's a recycling bin at the end of the street, and I cannot relax until the recycling, all of the recycling, is out of my house. But I am not. Why can't you relax unless all the <sighs> So my husband always jokes. Why can't I be the OCD cleaning kind? 
I'm not. I don't. So when people think of OCD, they think of only, they think of only the cleaning kind. But people who have cleaning OCD would tell you, you don't want it <laughs> because it's, you can't relax until you've scrubbed the bathtub for five hours. Okay, Lou, I'm going to drop you off here. I love you. Love you. Have a good day. Are you going to, you're walking home, yes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. As usual. <laughs> like, I'm not going to pretend that I pick you up. <laughs> it's three blocks away. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. I worry about that girl. She's walking away, violin in hand. She's still got a backpack with her name on it. She just doesn't really care what anyone else thinks. I love that about her. But I worry. There she is. I'm pulling up alongside her. There's another wave. I worry about what my mental illness does to her. Because she... I think she has some of the same tendencies. On the East Coast, Alex is waking up. And so is her OCD. Good morning. It is 8.59 a.m. And it is a beautiful day outside, which, oddly enough, can set me on edge. I usually fare better when it's overcast. And I wish I had some poetic reasoning for that, but I think it's just a quirk. (laughs) I'm feeling cautiously optimistic about today. I think that's the best I can do. I slept horribly. And if I don't sleep well, I tend to be more anxious and compulsive. And I'm worried I've set myself up to be in a pit of anxiety. (laughs) I'm anxious about being anxious. So... There isn't just one kind of OCD. OCD can manifest in very different ways for different people. It could be cleaning rituals, religious zealotry, hoarding, pedophilia. For Alex... My OCD presents itself in two ways. I struggle primarily with pure obsessional OCD, which means I deal with a lot of frightening, intrusive thoughts and images, and those cause me to do a lot of internalized rituals. So counting or repeating a word a certain number of times or rereading a line until it feels right. Um, I also struggle with physical ritualizations and compulsions. I'm a major counter, so I count just about everything I do in multiples of four. Rachel is also a counter, and back in Kansas City, she's dropped her daughter off at school, and now she's going to count. I'm listening to the news. It's 9.04. I'm headed to Target to get school supplies for my kids. Six months after the Parkland shooting, kids are back in class. So I automatically do taps on my steering wheel. Just three. Three sets of three. And apparently that's going to ward off a school shooter, but that's what my brain tells me to do. Um, it's So I'll do things in three, 
I'll go up and down the stairs three times. Um, that happens usually if it's late at night and I'm trying to ward off a home invader. <laughs> um, I will... Reading is hard because I sometimes it's just like my that switch in my brain will flick on and I'll have to read a paragraph over three times or if I get to a certain word like again and I read it three times then I have to do another ritual to offset that because the anxiety that spikes if I see that word three times so OCD I'm obsessing over seeing that word the anxiety has risen to a level where I'm doing a compulsion, performing a compulsion to get the anxiety to go down. The problem is with OCD, the more you engage in compulsions, the stronger you make them. Rachel has another form of OCD called harm OCD. And in high school, I had that harm OCD, it's called. that same stuff where like I would imagine myself stabbing people I would imagine myself hurting myself it was awful and I wanted to die in high school and then I was um, 16 and my mom finally took me to a psychiatrist and he said let's I think I know what's wrong let's try Prozac and for me Prozac was the first thing that worked I mean, it was the first thing I tried, and it was the first thing that worked. Prozac worked, but her OCD got really bad when Rachel was pregnant with her son. Rachel's previous pregnancy had been twins. One died during the pregnancy, and when her daughter was born, it was with complications. And Rachel was convinced that it was because she took Prozac while she was pregnant, so this next pregnancy, she went off all of her medication. And it was a, it was an unmitigated disaster. So I remember standing at my, okay, I'm going to tell this. I'm going to tell the truth. I remember standing at in our old house. See, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say this because Once it's out there, what are people going to think about me? I think about that on one hand. And then on the other hand, I think how many other women have, have had this experience but couldn't say one fucking thing because they're so afraid of the judgment of other people. Or they're afraid of getting psychiatric care because what if someone takes their kids away so I was mopping and my daughter Lucy was two and she was standing next to the mop bucket I was 37 weeks pregnant she was standing next to the mop bucket and I had this image this vision I don't know what it was of me drowning her in the mop bucket and I just, I, I can still hear the sound of the, of the mop handle hitting the tile floor. And I just grabbed her and, you know, just gathered her up in my arms. I called my doctor, went to the doctor, and I said, I am not well. 
was trying to figure out a way that I could tell my doctor that I had had this thought, that I was having these thoughts, without telling her. So I said, I'm not well. I'm really worried about the baby. And I'm worried about Lucy. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, oh, just that I'll be able to take the best care of her. And she said, well, you're doing fine. Every mom is nervous, you know, before their baby is born. And she was kind of gathering up her papers and ready to go. And I grabbed her arm and I said, okay, I have to tell you this. And I told her what I just told you. And she said, okay, uh, you need to have this baby now. OCD affects 2.2 million adults in the U.S. It mostly manifests in teenage years, but a third of people who have OCD first experienced it when they were kids, like Teresa. I've always had a little bit of OCD my whole life. My parents talked about when I was little, I rocked a lot. I would stop and go sit down and, and rock myself for a while. I've always liked to count things. Alex first remembers OCD around age five. I had this bedtime ritual where after my mom put me to bed, I would get out of bed and go to the light switch. And I would turn the lights on and off twice. And I would have to get from the light switch, which was at like a clear diagonal from my bed and across the room. And I'd have to run from there and I would have 15 seconds to get into bed under the covers and position my body in a certain way because for some reason I thought that if I didn't, the house would burn down in my sleep and my family would die, but I would survive alone. It is 11.28 a.m. I'm in my bedroom again, currently pacing left to right alongside my bed on a carpet that I bought for this purpose. It's very fun colored, very bright and airy, and I got it because I do this compulsion so often that I thought maybe it would make it easier and lighten the mood. <sighs> I'm breathing very heavy because I have messed up this one compulsion about two times already, so my anxiety is easily at an eight. The compulsion is pacing, but I have to count my steps and I have to count to four or 16 times through those steps. And if I mess up, I have to start over. Sometimes I can be here for two minutes and it's done. And sometimes I'm here for maybe five to 10 to 15 minutes if I keep messing it up. <sighs> I don't know how to explain it. When you mess up a compulsion, it, it feels like the center of your chest is going to explode out of your body and you are going to lose control out of all of these small things throughout your day you're trying to control. I'm doing this to keep my sister safe, who's currently driving. <laughs> and I've messed it up twice already, so now I'm fully convinced something bad's going to happen. Um, here's hoping I'm not here all day. It sometimes feels like that when you mess up. It feels like you could just be stuck on this loop that you can't break free of. And that's actually pretty terrifying. There's this rhyme that kids say, um... I know that they still say it because the other day I was carrying my five-year-old and he said it to me. Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Step on a line, break your father's spine. It's not a, I mean, it rhymes. 
Not my favorite rhyme. Also, we were walking over tile. I was stepping on all kinds of cracks. Um, As far as I know, my mother is fine. Most kids' rhymes are horrible, but it's also kind of a mental place that's recognizable, right? Like, don't step on that crack. Ooh, I hate odd numbers. Or when I was a kid, I did this thing, honestly, into my teens. Also, sometimes I still do it, where I would need to press my fingertips down. I'm doing it right now. One at a time, one push for every syllable in a conversation. I just had to do it. It felt good and important or for a time, I would alternate which leg stepped over the concrete seams in the sidewalk. And if I stepped over two in a row with one foot, I just felt weird. But here's the thing. For most of us, that's just a pattern or a habit that feels good or feels like something. For people with OCD, if they don't do some compulsions, someone will get hurt or die. Or it feels like they will. Uh, When I was five, our family's good friends, all of them died in a single-engine plane crash. One of my earliest memories was my entire family sitting in the kitchen, and everyone was crying. My parents were crying, and my three older brothers were crying, and there was nothing I could do to stop that. I remember looking around and thinking, there's no way to fix this. And I think that's when my OCD brain got triggered and it was like, okay, I'm gonna perform all of these compulsions so that no one in my family dies. Research is starting to say that OCD has deep neurological and biological roots and is genetic. So my OCD comes from my dad's side and my grandma suffered with it greatly. She. She was the cleaning OCD type, and she would have to check the stove and make sure the windows were shut and all of that multiple times before she left to go anywhere. When she was in her 70s, she had to be admitted to the mental ward of our local hospital because she was so depressed. I remember going in there as a little girl and I was probably eight or nine at this time. And just, you know, her her hair wasn't curled up or anything. She was just, she looked so vulnerable, I guess. I remember her just sobbing, sobbing. I don't know what to do. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I just want to die. And seeing that as a kid, I wish I could have a conversation with my grandmother saying, you weren't crazy. You always thought you were crazy. You weren't crazy. Or if you were crazy, I was crazy too. Imagine Rachel's grandmother thinking that she was crazy, that she was the only person doing the things that she was doing. And then think about her granddaughter, Rachel, and her own compulsions, which she has to do right now. I'm going in to take my recycling, so I don't have any recycling in my house. It's um, the recycling, (laughs) it's a big yellow recycling box, and it's in the office, or in the parking lot of a dental office. So I'm sure the people that work there are like, oh, here comes the crazy lady again with her recycling. (laughs) 
definitely doesn't. She just pay for recycling. I do pay for recycling. We have a recycling bin that comes every week, but apparently that's not good enough. I can't even tell you why I do this. someone with cleaning OCD. I just like to have the recycling out of my house. I think with OCD, it's all about control. I can't control whether or not my kid gets shot in a school shooting. I can't control whether or not my husband gets cancer. I can't control so many things. So I control these stupid little things. But I don't control them. It's my mind telling me that I have control when really I don't. But sometimes these compulsions are tied to other things like, I'll say, or, or, or I'll get the thought, you have to take the recycling this morning or Scott's gonna die on his way home from work. And then if I didn't take the recycling that morning and Scott's five minutes late, then I'm sure he's died because I didn't take the recycling. It's not, log it's not logical. This seems like the logical place for us to take a break. Hi, everyone. I have a podcast suggestion for you. If you like the sound of two women talking, which is my favorite sound. It's called Listening to the Forever 35 Podcast. Am I still 35? No, but I was when the show started six years ago. There are six years of episodes. Hosts and best friends Kate Spencer and Dory Shafrir talk to listeners about everything. It's a real comfort listen. Find Forever 35 wherever you listen to this podcast. We are back. We're back in a day of OCD. Rachel just took out the recycling. And now we're going to catch up with our friend, Teresa Bernstein. Hi, it's Teresa Bernstein. Um, it's lunchtime or so, and I'm taking a little break, sitting out in front of my clinic. And, well, really behind my clinic. It's been an okay morning. Super, super busy. Um, which is good for me because it keeps my mind off myself. I have had the flight path up, so I'm watching my daughter's plane fly to Portland. It is 2 or 3 p.m. I am currently in my kitchen attempting to get lunch together. Right now, uh, this is one of, the, one of my things that take up an ungodly amount of time, and I don't really notice it unless I'm really counting it. I have to let the water from the kitchen sink run for 60 seconds before I fill my water bottle with it. And when it is finally filled, I have to add ice cubes. And when I do that, there has to be 12 ice cubes. And I have to get the ice cubes in the bottle two at a time. If I grab three and I put three in at a time, I have to start the whole process over again. 
I have to let the water from the kitchen sink run for 60 seconds before I fill my water bottle with it. And when it is finally filled, I have to add ice cubes, and when I do that, there has to be 12 ice cubes. And I have to get the ice cubes in the bottle two at a time. If I grab three and I put three in at a time, I have to start the whole process over again. I have to let the water from the kitchen sink run for 60 seconds before... I feel like this is one of those things that for any anybody who doesn't have OCD, this is a pretty simple daily task. Hydration is a simple task, and yet it's something that I'm completely fixated on and obsessive about, and it's frustrating, especially when you do it, oh, 60 seconds, multiple times a day. Um, it takes up a huge chunk of time, and I try to ignore how much time it takes up. I try to push it to the back of my mind because if I really were to sit and count how long I spend doing this a day, I'd probably be horrifically embarrassed, which I shouldn't be. I can't help, I can't help it, but. Alex's brother died six years ago, suddenly, when he was 23 years old. And Alex had experienced OCD before then, but the suddenness and the trauma of her brother's death really affected her. And since then, my brain just keeps replaying the day of his death. And the intrusive bit of this is in the fact that I feel like I can't stop it. Because if I do, something may happen to my sister. So it's just like this reel of film over and over and over again and I have to just sit and watch and hear everything like it's really happening a second, a third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Ugh. And my brother, he had severe OCD as well. It was this shared struggle we had together and of course that further complicates things. And some part of me feels like my OCD now is tethering us together in some way. And I, I do want to get back into remission. I don't want to spend my days counting and pacing and checking. But what scares me about remission is that this shared bond we have would diminish and some bit of him that survived through me would fizzle out and that tether would be cut. Ugh. Grief is weird. OCD makes grief weirder. It's 424. All the kids are home. And I usually have the hardest time with anxiety at this point in the day and the OCD flares. Um, I think because... <sighs> Why do I have more anxiety at this time of the day? Do you guys know? Because we get home. <laughs> My 13-year-old daughter said because we get home. And then we fight. And then they fight. Yes, that is true. They're not fighting today. It's a good day today. Tomorrow, the younger two start school. And there's anxiety around that. And I'm sure tonight... Can you please stir the macaroni, Lucy? Um, I'm thinking tonight will be full of nervous compulsions before I go to bed. So a lot of... Up the stairs three times, down two. Why are you writing on your face with a marker? Stop. You know that's not right. Okay. <sighs> um, a lot of worrying. 
I'm going to step outside. A lot of worrying over whether or not they're doing okay their first day of school, so I'll probably check the locks a lot. You know, there's always that question. What, what would your one wish be? And my one wish would be just seeing what it would be like living a day without anxiety. If I don't follow through on a compulsion, I, I feel like that feeling, that shot of adrenaline you feel when you've narrowly missed a car wreck. And I'll feel that for probably a good 20 minutes after not following through on a compulsion. That's actually, it's pretty brutal. It's lonely and it's not a lot of fun to talk about. And I, I don't want people to feel sorry for me, but I simultaneously want people to have more compassion. I guess that's why I'm doing this. Because in the 1980s, when I was growing up, my parents didn't know what the heck was going on with me. You know, now, now when I see it in my own kids, I can recognize it for what it is. I think that's so powerful. I think that that shared experience is so powerful. Because I, I think as a kid, I would have given anything just to know that I wasn't alone. And then I was understood. It is 4.47 p.m. And I am outside for a walk. I started getting anxious thinking about something and intrusive thoughts kicked in. I imagined people listening to this and people coming to conclusions about me. And I know some people will think, how does this person even survive day to day? And honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> I just do. I just show up to the best of my ability. And we're all here, we're all occupying the same space as those without OCD. We just navigate life differently. Right now I'm looking at this foliage in front of me and it looks dry but beautiful. And my eyes, my brain, are sectioning it off into fours. Moments like this I wonder why we're judged so harshly. We're just human. <laughs> We have likes and dislikes, we have doubts and passions, and are made of the same things. We just have a different presentation of our humanity. Back in Oklahoma, Teresa has just gotten home from work. She's sitting on her back porch with a glass of wine. Well, good afternoon. This is Teresa Bernstein, and... My daughter got to Portland. They just uh, texted and then called me that they were officially on the road. So they'll drive all night. So, huh. But I've been using my self-talk all day that I have, I raised two capable, smart humans. They're 31 and 33. They've been all over the world, both of them. And... They know what they're doing. I still have like a thousand just scenarios running through my head. My therapist once said, everybody has bad thoughts. 
think of each thought as like a cloud that's floating through your mind and you just you've got to push those clouds on their way don't let the thought stick don't let it become like a big thunder cloud just keep pushing them through and think about something else and keep yourself busy she did tell me last time I saw her that I need to think of something every day that's outside my comfort zone and make every effort to do it. So today I got gas on the way home from work so that threw off my evening timetable by about 10 minutes. And I know that doesn't seem like much, but it's more than just getting gas. It's, I, now I, instead of going straight, I had to turn left. And then to go home, I had to turn left again. And there's a lot of traffic and what if, someone hits me what if I hit someone what if there's a pedestrian and I hit that pedestrian it's it, it's on and on and on I mean it's even to the point like what if I accidentally spill the gas and it catches on fire and then somebody catches on fire and it's and those are the thoughts that I have to constantly constantly push out of my head so anyway it's a beautiful evening the sky is really blue after last night's horrible storms there's a very slight breeze it's about 85 degrees and my wind chime is chiming just a little bit. My flowers are blooming like crazy all around me. My favorite thing. I don't have any birds here tonight, but that's probably because of the storms last night. We also have a lot of hawks who like to eat the birds for dinner. That's a different issue. But I'm going to go snuggle my pups and decide what I'm going to have for dinner. And I hope everybody's doing okay tonight. One of the things that we heard from everyone over and over is how exhausting it is to have OCD, to have the constant intrusion of obsessions and then the grinding schedule of rituals. Alex, for example, no matter how tired she is, her rituals need to be done. They can go on late into the evening. And it's not just the regular ones that can derail everything, like her standards. There are some obsessions that just arise out of nowhere. And when they do, she has to act on them. The compulsion takes over. It is 6.17 p.m. I just experienced one of my most aggravating compulsions, and it seems so minuscule that others may go. That thing, that little thing bothers you, but by God, it frustrates me to no end. If I see a post online, and it doesn't matter where, it could be an ad on Facebook, an ad on a web store, a post by a friend on Facebook, a post by a friend on Instagram, if it involves a dog, I have to read the whole post inside my head. Otherwise, I feel like my dogs are going to die. And when I say the whole post, I mean read the username, including any punctuation in that username separately. So if it's something like sunny underscore day, I have to read the underscore bit in my head, like I just said it. I also have to read out the emojis and the share, comment, and like icons. And if I mess up, I have to blink four times and start over. And this is like the most harmless one, the most benign, really. And yet it frustrates me more than anything else because I feel frozen until I get it right. And this doesn't bode well when you're in the middle of a conversation or you're trying to write a paper or you're trying to write a really important email and you're just stuck reading a dog post over and over again. And I'm laughing because it's it's maddening, it is. 
But just the idea that I have to avoid posts that involve dogs. Oh my goodness. It is 8.11pm. I'm out walking my dogs, as you can hear. Um, this is why this ritual is so stressful, because I have a chihuahua who likes to bark at everything, which means I miscount every step that I take. It's another I need to take. I need to count um, to four or sixteen times. And it's nearly impossible when this dog barks at his own shadow. It also just reminds me that the night is starting, and the night is where I experience most of my ritualizations really late into the evening, so not feeling great at the moment. It is 8.26 p.m. and that was the first of many knocking rituals I have at night. I have to do this again at 9.26, then again at 10.26, and if I'm still awake, again at 11.26. I'm surprised I didn't mess that one up, but this is just opening the gate of how exhaustive nighttime gets for me. I don't know why. It is 11.03 p.m. I'm in my bedroom. I just finished pacing the carpet I mentioned earlier for much the same reasons. I'm getting ready now to complete my nighttime ritual, and that would be difficult, near impossible, to record as I'm brushing my teeth and rinsing my mouth for the majority of it. Um, I have an electric toothbrush that times itself, so I brush my teeth for 60 seconds, then switch mouthwash around in my mouth a hundred times, and then continue rinsing for an added 60 seconds. And it takes way too much time, and seven out of seven nights a week, I really just want to brush my teeth for a minute, rinse for 20 seconds, and be done with it. And yet, I haven't figured out a way to talk myself out of it. And this is when I find that my mood dips quite a lot. During the day, at least, I have some distractions. I'm semi-distracted during the day. But at night, it's just me and my old brain, and we don't see eye to eye on a lot of these things, especially right now. It's frustrating, and it's lonely, and I feel lonely. Some people still see OCD as like a quirk, or maybe just sort of a failure of will. May a weakness, like it's just a weird thing. And if you put your mind to it, you could stop, like stop pushing your fingertips down or touching the door or pacing, just stop doing it. Other people talk about their OCD as something that makes them a little more fussy or makes them want to have things lined up cute and proper on a shelf. They see one aspect, the compulsions, but they don't see the obsessions or the disorder. OCD is something so difficult. The World Health Organization ranked OCD in the top 10 of the most debilitating and disabling illnesses of any kind. 
maintaining friendships, jobs, relationships, all of that takes such a different kind of work. And then there are the thousand other little things that you and I don't even have to think about. And then just constant, constant interruption by thoughts and images that you don't want in your brain. I think what it takes to live with OCD is courage to get up every day and find ways to make your life happen, to be a full person with love and hopes and dreams and a sense of humor because OCD is only ever one part of someone. It's a dramatic part, sure, but at the end of the day, we're all so much more. Hello, it's Teresa Bernstein. I think it's been a decent day. I got uh, another text from my daughter. They're still driving. They'll be driving all night. I'm going to try to just keep pushing the clouds and not think about that and just like have a little faith. That is really hard, really, really hard. But I'm working on it. This has been okay. And I really appreciate you doing it. I mean, I really had to like look internally at some of my own behaviors and reactions to things. And it's also made me think about other people who have maybe more extreme behaviors and what they must go through and the difficulties that they must face every day. I mean, my heart, my heart goes out to them. How difficult, how hard, really something. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And God bless. It's 10.42 p.m. I am completely exhausted. So since it's been a harder day, uh, I did a lot of going up and down the stairs. You know, things to ward off home invaders, pulmonary embolisms in the night, um, SIDS, but my kids are too old for SIDS. I was talking to a friend about recording for this podcast and I said I just um, I want other people out there who have OCD and who've never been diagnosed and don't know what they're going through I just want them to feel not so alone and she said to me you know Rachel I also think that the person that this recording is going to help the most is your own child who struggles with OCD You're doing this for that child. Okay. I'm going to do this all over again tomorrow, so good night. It is 11.42 p.m. I'm in my room, in bed, in the dark, exhausted. I'm a very buttoned-up person. It takes a lot for me to be radically vulnerable to anyone, so this was 
a challenge, and I'm proud of myself for taking what is usually so intensely private and protected in my heart and verbalizing it for once. So even with all the anxiety spikes and compulsions and rituals and intrusive thinking, I can't really call this a bad day. And I'm not sure what tomorrow will bring, I'm not sure what mood it will be, or how I will feel in it, but I feel braver tonight than I did this morning. So, good night. Thanks for sticking around, even if some of the things I did didn't make sense. <laughs> See you around. This has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McNerney. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. Marcel Malakibu is our producer. New to the team, living the dream. That's what we say about Marcel. Hannah Meacock Ross is our project manager. And thank you to Alex, Teresa, and Rachel. It is such a brave thing to do this, and we appreciate you so much. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. You should go download all his music. His band is called Just Post Bellum, J-U-S Post Bellum. They're really wonderful. It's also great fall music, in my opinion. We are a production of American Public Media, APM. 